0: Hello, welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm Noelle C. Guevara, a pastor, an educator, and a writer learning to navigate faith and family and being a person in this chaotic life. Here in season two, we are doing a deep dive into some of the ways that life can be anxiety inducing and what it looks like to find your calm in the midst of it all. Over the past few episodes, we've been talking about recovery journeys, what it looks like to heal from hurts or from trauma, how it impacts your relationship, and how to support someone else's recovery journey. For many of us, we didn't receive the tools to navigate hard things in healthy ways, and we want something more for our kids. So today we're gonna talk about raising children to be resilient so that when they face hard things, hurts, traumas, or just everyday chaos, they'll be able to adapt and even flourish. And you guys, hang in till the end because I have a special guest. My daughter, Sophie, is going to be here to share the good, the bad, and the ugly on how we raised her to be resilient and what we could have done differently. She did not even give me a sneak peek of her answer, so I'll be listening right with you. Here's the truth. I don't know how to avoid chaos or how to prevent the anxiety that chaos inevitably causes, but... I have had more than a little practice in finding my calm when life beckons anxiety instead. If you're looking for space to take a deep breath, steady yourself and discern what you need to move forward, here right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. Over the last few episodes, I shared parts of our family's journey, both in recognizing and in disrupting unhealthy patterns and cycles. We've named this as a recovery journey or a process of addressing and healing from hurts that have led to some harmful habits. Earlier in the season, I also shared new waters we've navigated as a couple of our kids have received diagnoses and I've had to learn to adapt and parent kids differently who are neurodivergent and who struggle with their mental health. These two things alone, recovery journeys and diagnoses, have caused or perhaps just named enough chaos that I've lost sleep worrying if my kids will be all right. By the way, if you skipped those episodes and don't know what I'm talking about, I'd encourage you to scroll back through the season and catch up because I'm just going to keep plowing ahead. Whether or not you've had similar experiences with your family, it's likely that if you're a parent, you faced hard things and by proximity, your kids have faced them too. And just being a kid in the world means facing plenty of hard things on the playground or the soccer field, in friendships or sibling relationships, and facing an illness, a parent's divorce, even the death of a loved one. As parents, we are often tempted to protect our kids from hard things, and there's a great deal of wisdom in letting our kids be kids versus treating them like small adults but there's a danger in trying so hard to protect them that we leave them without tools to handle the inevitable struggle we cannot protect them from. So how do we navigate that balance? How do we help our kids navigate the world in developmentally appropriate ways? Good news first, you don't need to protect your kids from every hard thing that comes their way, and you don't need to prepare them for every possible hard thing that might come their way. There's a better option raise them to be resilient. Here's what I mean. To be resilient means you're able to not only handle difficult situations, but you're able to recover quickly with quickly being relative, right? It basically means that if you're stretched or pressured or even crushed, you can spring back. Now, sometimes we think we're resilient, telling ourselves and everybody around us that we're fine. Or maybe we spiritually bypass it with a God is carrying me through or I'm leaning on Jesus. But listen, this might be a hot take. If you aren't facing and naming your problems and doing the work to process difficult emotions and name what you need and confront the unhealthy coping mechanisms that begged to be indulged, you're not resilient, you're in denial. You're Jesus juking your way through and you're letting that whole mess run you from the background and maybe without even realizing it. I have been there both in denial of it and finally facing it head on. Listen, please, let's stop passing that stuff down to our kids, okay? They can struggle honestly and grow into resilient humans. If that's a desire you have for your child and you're hoping I have a three-step process for raising resilient kids with a money-back guarantee, you are in the wrong place. So sorry to disappoint. As per usual, I don't have it all figured out, but... I've learned some things and I think I can give you a few next faithful steps forward in raising resilient kids and maybe even growing into a more resilient human yourself. Let it begin with me. So here's your first faithful step, create safe spaces and become a safe person for your child's emotions. The long-term goal is that our kids will be able to regulate big emotions, but they have to start by feeling them and naming them without judgment. I am fascinated by the conversations that are emerging around internal family systems theory. This is not my field of expertise, so I am not about to put a teaching hat on, but think about the movie Inside Out and how there's like different parts of the little girl, right? Which in the movie are named as emotions. And now each of these parts has an important role to play. But when they hijack control and take over, it's chaos. But also when they're suppressed or ignored, it's chaos. We contain multitudes, friends, and we were created by a God that knit us together and formed us and called us good. Let's help our kids capture this kind of perspective of themselves, not shaming bad parts into corners where they run them from the background. Emotions are neutral. Let your child be sad, angry, scared, overwhelmed, joyful, exuberant, confused, embarrassed, elated, and all things in between separate their behaviors from their emotions because their emotions are an innate and inseparable part of them in a way that their behaviors are not. So my seven-year-old has easy access to feelings of overwhelm and frustration. The bottom rung of a four-kid ladder, she gets bossed. She gets bossed a lot. She has to speak up to be heard. She's the least capable and knowledgeable and in control simply because she's smaller and younger than literally everyone else but the dog. So she's learned to get loud, to be heard, and have her needs met. And then on the flip side, all she has to do is be loud for five people to come running to either coddle her or quiet her. I don't always feel patient with her behavior, but I have learned to work tirelessly with her on naming and validating emotions before I address her behaviors. Once we name her emotions, we talk about appropriate and inappropriate ways to express them, and we practice those appropriate ways. I'll give an example from just the other night. Josie shared with me that she was playing with some friends and she got mad and she hit another child. Hitting is the not okay behavior, and she knows that. In fact, it's why she was telling me she felt bad. So I rolled it back and I asked how she was feeling before she got angry and hit her friend. And Josie told me she didn't want to play tag, that it was really loud and she felt stressed. So I empathized. I can see how that would be stressful. Sometimes when things get loud, or we feel like no one is listening, we can feel stressed or overwhelmed or even embarrassed. I often name other feeling words to help my kids build their vocabulary and explore their emotions further. So next I asked what might've been a healthier way to manage her stressed feelings when they started to get big. And at that point she started flopping around and getting dysregulated. Her body was sending me cues or really obvious messages hey, I'm not able to be rational and stay curious. I'm in my feelings. so I told her I was gonna take a shower while well, she took a little time to think about it. By the time I was done, she was calm and more ready to talk about what to do when she has big feelings, which she already knows because we talk about this a lot. She shared that she can use her strategies, but she added, when she's stressed, she often can't remember to do that. And y'all, that is a truth if you are seven or 70. When we are dysregulated, we don't have access to the tools we need unless we have practiced them a lot over and over again. It's hard for adults, so of course it's hard for kids. So Josie and I picked three strategies, blowing out the birthday candles, box breathing, and the rainbow game, and we decided we'd start practicing them every day when she's calm so that they come a little more easily when she's not. If you're not sure what those strategies are, you can Google them. I'll post them, share them on Instagram as well. And bonus truth, kids can endure copious amounts of difficulty and trauma, and the harm can be largely mitigated by just having one safe and supportive adult in their life. By simply being present and a safe person for them to talk to, they'll be more resilient. Okay, that was a long-winded first faithful step forward, but it's because it's so important. Kids need space and people who allow them to have big emotions without shame or hiding or stuffing them down, or they're just gonna run them from the background. Once they're able to name their emotions, the next step is to help them name what they need. Kids are dependent on others to have their needs met. They become less and less as they move towards adulthood. Obviously, infants are entirely dependent on caregivers. Whereas teenagers are far less so, but as long as your child is under your roof, they need you to meet their needs, primarily their physical and emotional needs. Honestly, even independent adult children have needs that only their parents can meet. Now, whether you're a child or an adult, when you face hard things, your ability to remain resilient is largely impacted by whether or not you are able to have your needs met. Kids are instinctively attuned to their needs and driven to have them met. How many times a day does your child ask for something? A snack, a drink of water, one more hug, the lights on, the music louder, up or down. They have to learn to distinguish between needs and wants, between what is and isn't good for them, but at the end of the day they have needs and they rely on you to have them met. We can help our kids with this by giving them language to name what they need. Here's an example. When one of my teenagers comes to me with a problem, I let them talk their way through it, and when they pause, I ask, do you want me to offer some advice to help you navigate this, or do you just need to vent and have me listen? They know, or I hope they know, either answer is fine, and I've been doing this with them since they were little. If they do ask for advice, I ask questions to help them determine what they need. A fight with a friend might leave them needing conflict resolution skills, or it might leave them needing better boundaries. As parents, we often assume the position of experts when it comes to our kids' needs and problems. I know I do. And sometimes we might be, and sometimes we might not be. But either way, our kids need to better understand their own needs and problems. So resist the competing temptations to minimize or preempt your child's needs. Instead of, no, you don't need a cookie, or tech time, or the lights on when you go to sleep, you can respond with, I hear that you're hungry or bored or scared and you need food or something to do or to feel safe. Then work on helping your child meet that need appropriately. And instead of anticipating your child's needs before they can even name them, preventing the problem, solving the conflict, insulating them from struggle, let them experience their need so that they can name it and experience the deeper need of learning that their needs can be met and get this. That their needs can be named and met by people other than you. Help them name their needs to their teacher, to their friends, to the bus driver and camp counselor, instead of doing all the communicating for them. This will serve them really well in the long run. So you're giving your kids space to process their emotions and you're helping them name their needs and have them met. We're going to put those things together and address them in the context of your home and family. Oftentimes, we encourage our kids to talk about what's going on outside the home, but we keep secrets or we just stay silent about what happens within our own four walls. We have a lot of words for the kids that picked on them in the playground, but we don't talk about the way that dad sometimes drinks too much or works all the time. They hear us complain about the coworker who drives us crazy, but they don't hear us work through conflict with their partner. Or maybe we hide the truth in other ways, we normalize our mood swings, or we ignore the signs that our child's struggles aren't just a phase, or we expect our kids to put up with our own outbursts. Maybe our kids watch us give and give and give and never set boundaries and care for ourselves. We model ignoring needs instead of naming them. Maybe they never see us show any anger and they learn that anger isn't acceptable or that they can never predict what will set off our anger and they learn that anger is scary and again unacceptable. Sometimes as parents, we think the work of teaching our kids starts with teaching our kids, but it starts with us, with learning what we want to teach them, with practicing and naming it for ourselves, and then with modeling it for them. We don't have to do it perfectly before we teach them. Parents, we can learn right alongside of our kids. In fact, I've learned so much about accessing and experiencing my emotions while teaching my children to do the same. But we can't bypass our own work and expect a different outcome for our children. If we want our kids to be resilient, we have to develop resilience in ourselves. This might mean some reparenting. If you were taught that your emotions were bad or scary or shameful, you're going to have to explore those messages and rewrite them for yourself. That's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to take work. If you were taught to not have needs or that only some needs were acceptable or that neediness was shameful... You're going to have to confront the lies and speak back some truth. You're going to have to take up more space than you're comfortable with, and that's going to take some work. There is a lot more to say about raising resilient kids, and I'm sure the internet has a lot of great information. I know it does. I find great stuff there. Uh, Things like allowing your children to struggle or to help them develop imagination and practice problem solving are really important and really helpful. Practices like gratitude and lament are also immensely helpful for kids to stay grounded in hard seasons. And y'all know I'm going to encourage therapy. Removing that stigma is a powerful tool to put in your child's toolkit. These faithful steps forward are a good start or maybe just a good reminder that you're on the right path already, but I don't want you to just take my word for it. So today I invited my daughter, Sophie, who is 17 at the time of this recording and currently a junior in high school to come and share her perspective on this topic.
1: Hey, Sophie, welcome. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> so glad to be here It's so great to have you on
0: my podcast. I'm excited. I'm also a little nervous because I don't I don't know what you're gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, it will be wise because uh, yes. Sophie's name means wisdom, and she lives into that, so I'm gonna dive into the questions. I did give her the questions ahead of time, so she's yeah. had a little time to think,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but we didn't talk about it, so we're just we're just doing this live, yep, all right, first question honest answer, do you feel like you've developed resilience throughout your childhood, and if so, how has that served you well?
1: Yeah, so I definitely do uh feel like. I have developed resilience, especially in my childhood and in healthy ways. I think sometimes I talk to my friends about the ways that they've developed resilience and they're like, oh, yeah, I shut down. I close my door and blast my music. And sometimes that's what I need. And sometimes that's an unhealthy distraction and not, not real, like, healthy resilience. So I do definitely feel like I've developed Um, healthy resilience. And now that I'm a young adult, a teenager, almost fully grown. Yeah, almost. (laughs) um, I feel like, uh, you know, when I when I come across hard things, especially in a home with children who who need more support than maybe uh, I do or my older sister does, um, I've been able to take those strategies that I've learned and and be resilient on my own and also teach my friends how they can come across hard things in healthy ways. Mm, okay. So this isn't one of the questions, but I'm going to add this in.
0: Do you find that your friends come to you and ask you for advice on how to get through
1: hard times? Absolutely. For sure. I, I think I have like, I have a lot of really good friends who I've been able to be vulnerable with. Um, and so they know a lot of the things that I have Struggled with uh, in my childhood and even now, and so part of part of being resilient, I think, is having other people in your life ask you questions and and being vulnerable with them and and working through things together. Um, and it's definitely created a lot of much stronger, healthier relationships. Mm, I love that. Okay, next question:
0: What is one thing that we, mom and dad, Matt and Noel, have done to help you cultivate
1: resilience? Ooh, uh, I would definitely say, uh, early in my life, you guys created safe spaces outside of the house, um, and this it this looks like a lot of different ways, like. In church, I've always had people to talk to. I've always felt comfortable talking to, um, finding adults, whether they're pastors or teachers. You taught me how to make friends and you gave me, um, especially I think right now, the big one is how you cultivated creative spaces for me. Um, I was put in dance in an early age and stuck with it my entire life. And not only has that given me a place to be creative as an outlet for myself uh, to spend time with other people, but I've also been able to work hard. And sometimes now that I can drive, I found myself at the Y two, three, or four times a week just getting, getting things out of my system, dealing with my uh, anger, frustration, sadness, whatever it is. Uh, in healthy ways, and sometimes, like most of the time, actually, it would be it would be dancing. And you guys put me in dance and encouraged me to dance and encouraged me to work hard and came to my concerts and came to my shows and watched me do all the things and and that was really helpful. That's great. Thank you for sharing. A couple things I want to highlight
0: um, is one, the importance, you know, parents of you giving your kids safe spaces beyond yourself. Like sometimes, you know, we can recognize, oh, we're safe or our home is safe and that's really good. And Sophia, I hope, you know, you would feel that you can, you know, share and you do like come and talk to us about things, but it's good to have other people too, besides just your parents. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, that I hadn't thought of that, but that like creative outlet, a way to, when you're feeling overwhelmed or when life gets hard, having something that you can do that's healthy that helps you manage and and deal with and express, I guess, yeah. express emotions, right? Like not just like naming them and feeling them, but finding an outlet for you to express them is super important. You did that think really well.
1: It wasn't even about like as a kid. It wasn't even about you didn't want me to be the best at dancing. You didn't want me to beat oh, everybody sure. in a competition. Yeah. It wasn't you weren't like great, but you can work harder. It was just. I love the way that you have worked so hard and that you continue to work hard. Like it was, it wasn't about being the best. It was about being expressive. Hmm.
0: Thank you. That's really good to hear. All right. Last question. Um, you've said so many kind words, which I appreciate, but what is something cause no parents perfect. Mm-hmm. They're not, not, not even me, <laughs> especially not me. What is something we mom, dad could have done differently in raising you to be resilient?
1: Yeah, so I had to think about this one uh, a little bit, but I think when it when it comes down to it, I feel like we moved a lot. It wasn't a ton, but we had like two or three big moves for me. Yeah, like different states and cities. Yeah, and, different yeah. states and cities, and and moving into different rooms, and and being apart from my sister, who I've almost always shared a room with, and then being together again, like kind of being tossed into those. Um, and I think we had a lot of conversations around like, here's why we're moving, and this is why it's good and this is why it's not good. But I think, um, I would have liked to have more conversations around like more centered around my attachment to each of the the houses and the cities. Um, and the way that I had found people in each of those places in church or my friends at co-ops or whatever, whatever attachments I had made, um, I almost wish we would have been able to talk about those things as we were moving, uh, so that I would have been able to see growth in each move rather than a relapse into additional stress of making new friends and dealing with new things, um. I remember, we might have talked about this before, but like this bungee cord idea that Mm -hmm. I had in my brain. I do. I remember that. Yeah. And I would, every, every time we moved to a new house, I had this bungee cord in my brain that was like stretching and stretching as I was getting more comfortable and growing and learning. And then we would move and it would just snap. And everything like that I had learned felt useless. All the connections that I made had felt pointless. And so sometimes I held people at like an arm's length so that I didn't have to, uh, like feel the, the snap back of a bungee cord when we moved. And so I would have liked to had more conversations around less around why we're moving and more about the repercussions of, of what comes out about it, Mm -hmm. which if you're listening and
0: you don't know Sophie or you don't know her, well, you should know, like, she is our least, um, I don't want to say our least needy child. Like we all have kids that present and communicate needs really clearly. And kids that always just kind of seem just fine. Like Sophie's just easygoing and always happy. Like as a kid, especially just always smiling, always happy, almost always. Um, And so that's a really good reflection for me. Thanks for sharing Sophie, but for parents too, of like, don't overlook your kids who seem like they're okay. You know, like what I'm hearing from you is that, even though you were going with the flow, even though you were, you know, being cooperative and and you seemed okay with moving, and I do remember you kind of sharing that bungee cord story, even as we were moving the last time, um, that it was easier to overlook some of these steps with you of like naming emotions, naming needs, because you didn't outwardly demonstrate big emotions and big needs. And so that's really good wisdom. Thanks for sharing that wisdom of check on those, check on those happy kids because yeah. those happy kids might seem more resilient and they might be more resilient, but they still need to be parented as well. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Sophie, for sharing that. No um, we're going to move into a practice now, but I just really loved having you here. So thanks for joining me. And so today, as we close with that practice, um, for you, I'd really encourage you to turn around and maybe do it later with your child or or your children, because parents, we model what we teach, okay? So this practice is really just a couple of questions paired with one of Josie's favorite strategies, box breathing. I say favorite. She actually hates when I make her do it, but it's one of the ones she picked. Um, So first question, what emotions are you feeling right now? Take a moment to notice and inventory your emotions, naming them as they present themselves. To help stay grounded, try box breathing. Breathing in while you count slowly to four, holding your breath for four, breathing out for four, and holding for four. So breathe in, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four breathe out, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four. Go ahead and repeat the exercise, the box breathing, picturing your emotions filling up the box you're creating with your breath. set that box aside without judgment. Those emotions aren't good or bad, they just are. Moving on, what do you need right now? Take a moment to notice and explore your needs, naming them as they present themselves. Repeat the box breathing and picture your needs filling up the box you're creating with your breath. I stand back and look at the boxes you filled with emotions and needs. How can you care for and tend to those emotions and meet those needs today? Do you need help from somebody? Honor your emotions and needs by not only recognizing them, but responding to them as well. Make a plan if needed to have a conversation or make an appointment or make a meal, take a nap, whatever it is. I hope this practice of reconnecting with yourself and the things that make you feel like yourself has been grounding for you today. As you walk a long road of recovery, or you walk that road with a loved one, or you help your kids prepare or deal with recovery, I hope you remain connected with yourself along the way. Thank you for joining us today for season two, episode eight of the find your calm podcast. I hope you were able to unburden yourself, to get your bearings, to find your focus, and begin to enjoy or at least truly experience that life that's within and around you. Life is chaotic. We know this to be true. But even in the midst of chaos, you can find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. If your child is struggling in the season, whether they're battling emotions or a playground bully, I have a free resource on my website that can help. It was designed to help parents talk to their child about a diagnosis, ADHD, anxiety, whatever else, but it's equally applicable for parents who just want to talk to their child about all kinds of challenges. It's brand new, and it's going to help you name the problem, the emotions around the problem, and some next step solutions in a way that can cultivate connection instead of creating conflict. So go to my website, noelcquevara.com, and take advantage of this free resource. Until next time, I'm Noelle C. Guevara, and I'm so grateful to be your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together.